guys. I bring you greetings from Denton, and we love to see some of you come down when you can. And uh, we're grateful for fellowship over the years. They don't want to grow sweeter. I told Bob Redmond today, I spent the night with him, and I said, you know, one day I'll have my last trip to a church, won't know it probably, so I want to make the most of every time. Somebody said, give flowers to the living, not to the dead, because the living can appreciate them. And I, I think we ought to love each other and show appreciation, treasure relationships, and uh, life is too short to not live that way. And heaven is too near to not have short accounts about things. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I want to look at briefly at two places in the New Testament. One is Luke 19, and the other is 1 John 2. This message is really going to be... What's the word I'm looking for? Probably disjointed. I only felt in the last 36 to 48 hours... Clearly that this is what I was to speak on, so I hope that the, the real heart of it comes across. I want to speak about our being more like the Master in our heart, our motives, our perspective on this world and how we view people, how we care about people, more like Him in our courage in our compassion, and in every way, if we're to be being conformed into, into the image of God's Son, it means we are in pro, a progression of being made like Him in thought, in word, in actions, in motives, in character. So I just hope this comes together and you get something out of it. So 1 John 2, 6 is an amazing verse. This is a moral, ethical admonition. 1 John 2, 6. And I, I like the way the New King James gives it. I don't know how yours will give it. Everybody here probably has an NASB, right? I don't know about everybody. Yeah. So that's fine. <laughs> Uh, but this verse is amazing. 1 John 2, 6. He who says he abides in Him, alright, that's synonymous with saying, I'm a Christian. That's my profession. I'm in Christ. He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now think of that. Do we walk purposely, intentionally, progressively, seriously, more and more like our Savior all the time? 
to walk just like he walked. That's the imperative there. That's the standard. Because the New Testament shows us that in many ways, he is our example, right? To speak as he spoke. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again? Who loved his enemies? Who actively, actively went after showing compassion to needy people? He wasn't passive, was he? What a man. What a man he was as a man. The human Jesus Christ. And we're to walk just as He walked. And it's like the last year the Lord's just been tearing me up in so many areas, showing me that in so many ways I'm really not liking to where I need to be. So I've been reading Luke's Gospel lately. I always read through the Gospels. When I finish John, I'll start over at Matthew again. Because I have this deep conviction we ought ever to set before our minds the life, the character, the beauty, the glory, the teaching, and the example of our Savior. Amen. We ought to stay riveted there. Because those four Gospels are oceans that have never been dealt with as, as deeply as what's really there. I mean, you, you read John 17 over and over again. You come to it. When I come to John 17, it's like John's Gospel gets deeper every chapter almost. But I come to John 17, as we say in Texas, I want to put on my high waders because <laughs> the water is fixing to get real deep. John 17 is deep. And... Uh, but here's the deal. We need to stay fresh in the things of God concerning knowing our Savior and pursuing Him and loving Him and seeking to be like Him and being transparent with our, ourselves before Him at, at where we are. Um, about a year ago, Linda and I went out for um, Valentine's dinner. And the Lord had convicted me that I wasn't transparent enough with her. I grew up without parents, never had a dad, never had family. So I went into marriage not knowing how to be relational, really. She grew up in a hundred extended family members. They would argue and love each other and argue and, and kiss and make up and talk. And she knew how to do it a lot better than I. And I, I was seeing this, these areas in my life in the last couple of years where I would be afraid to fully be transparent out of fear of displeasing her disappointing her and just giving in to fear. And so I said that week, I said, all right, I'm going to face this because she loves me 
and this will go well. By faith, it'll go well. <laughs> so we went out, and we had the sweetest dinner. I just, I just had courage to become transparent in some areas, and she was so sweet and understanding and forgiving. Not really even forgiveness wasn't a thing, but so understanding and supportive. I went away so encouraged, but I went away saying, Tomlinson, you fool, why didn't you do it sooner? There was nothing to fear. And so I've, I've kind of been that way with, with the Lord. Um, just learning to believe how much He loves me based on the Scripture. Believe how, how tender and merciful Christ is. How gentle and lowly He is. How He's such an approachable Savior. And it's just, it's just been some transformation going on in my heart. It's been so sweet. So as I read the Gospels, I was reading Luke 19 this week, and it just came alive as I saw this picture of our Savior living and His characters coming out. And, and I even phrased it this way. Luke 19 gives a picture of the tender and terrifying Savior. It's right in the same chapter. Because He comes and He weeps over the city and then He cleanses the temple the next day. The tender and the terrifying Savior. That's Him. Just viewing rightly and to respond rightly to Him. So, if 1 John 2.6 is true, that if we know Him, we must walk just as He walked with our motives, with our attitudes, with our conduct, with our treatment of others, people we like and people we don't like, people we get along with and people we have a problem with. There's no excuses to not walk as Christ walked. So Luke 19, here's the, the text. We'll read 41 through 40. Six. Now just see the Savior here. Now as He drew near, He's drawing near to Jerusalem. So let the words of this sink in. As He drew near, He saw the city. He draws near and it comes into His view and He's looking at it. And our Savior is thinking things. He's feeling things. As he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. How many times does the New Testament say Jesus wept? Three. Here, John 11, the grave of Lazarus, and Hebrews 5, 7, who in the days of his flesh, with many cries and tears, cried out to His Father who was able to save Him through death. Three times we're told that the Savior was crying. What a sight that would have been to see. What a, what a thing it would have been to, to have heard to, to see Him and hear Him break down crying. He was the most emotional person who ever lived. 
with perfect human emotion. Not self-centered emotion. Compassionate emotion. He saw the city and wept over it. Are we like that? We can get in such ruts, can't we? Such, such ruts of spiritual lethargy and lack of freshness in the things of God. Jesus never lived in a rut. He stayed fresh in the things of God. He walked in tune with His Father. He, he obeyed His Father's guidance. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit like we're supposed to be. And He was in tune daily and He stayed fresh. And so in daily, suddenly He knows He needs to go through Samaria because He has an appointment there with a woman. Right? So here He is on this day and he's heading to Jerusalem. And as he draws near, he sees the city. We know why he's going back there, right? The passion, the suffering, the cross. And he sees the city and he weeps over it. Now notice what verse 42 says. This, this statement by Christ in 42-44 through 44, is just amazing. Look at the longing. Look at the compassion. Look at the human feeling our Savior had. And notice the words, if you had known, now He's looking at Jerusalem and He's saying, He's speaking to it. If you had known, even you, Jerusalem. Remember in Matthew 23, how does He say it? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that made for your peace, did they know it? No. Did they miss it? Yes. If you had only known the things that make for your peace. But now, here's, here's a transition. This is remedial judgment. He's given the city over to what's coming. But now... They are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surrounding you, and close in, close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. Now this was going to be 30 plus years later, right? A.D. 70 when it's coming. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Even believers can miss the timing of some things God would do because they don't have eyes to see it. Because they're not as close to their Savior as they could be. Because they don't maintain fresh, real communion with God the way they should. Verse 45, Then He went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. How many times did He cleanse the temple? Twice. Twice. One at the beginning of His ministry 
at the second one. Now, either Ma- I think Matthew records, maybe it's Matthew, that Jesus came and observed what was going on, and then he he made a whip. Right? He's intentionally planning to cleanse the temple, and that would have been a sight to see. To to hear him and to see him weep over Jerusalem would have been astounding. But to see him walk in that temple and take over, God shows up and cleans his own house, would have been terrifying to his enemies, to the religious people. It would have put the fear of God in any believer. Who is this man? The tender-hearted and the terrifying Savior. So, I, I just really want to say something simple tonight. Are we really, truly, in reality, becoming more like the Master? In heart, in deed, in motives, in caring for people? in our character. When he saw the city, what happened to him? He was moved. He saw the city, but not just physically. He saw the reality behind what he was looking at. In other words, he saw with spiritual eyes. Brothers and sisters, we are as well. Do you see your city with spiritual eyes? Or do you just see it as a, as a quiet, good old, Midwestern, Missouri town, and we don't see it spiritually for what's really going on? The darkness over the city. Jesus saw it. He saw it with perception. He saw it with sensitive heart to really see it. And that's, He saw it for what was really there in light of eternity, in light of the spiritual condition of people. And he was moved, so deeply moved that he breaks down crying. I don't think he was planning on going there to cry, no. This was human emotion. It overcame him. He felt it. He was overwhelmed that he had come as the Messiah to this city, to this nation. He came to his own and his own received him not. And it broke his heart. And he wept over what they were missing when he stood in their presence for three years. He saw with spiritual eyes. We must too. We can get such double vision sometimes. We can get spiritual cataracts. And we are not seeing things according to reality. We get in a rut. We get in a mundane routine our schedule, our life, our work, our habits just cloud us and we're not spiritually alert. We're not in tune with things we really need to see. He saw the city and before, in between that that statement, He saw the city and wept, there's something that is there, though it's not written. He was moved with compassion. That's why he wept. 
the lost people that you know around you, are you ever moved with fresh compassion toward them? We have neighbors across the street that are Roman Catholics. And we've gotten close to them over the 11 years. We've been friendly to them. They're very sweet, very sweet people. And they like us. And she comes over one day to the porch and is crying. She said, Mac, would you pray for my mom? She's had a stroke. And I take her hand and pray. And, and then Linda sees the man out at out at the mailboxes one morning and they're talking and he's just tender heart. He's open. He's open. Now, you know, we, we could be passive and kind of just keep our distance, but Jesus didn't do that, did He? He engaged people. And so Linda starts sharing and, and finally she recommended this video. She said, let me send you this video. He, he listened to it and he comes back to her with tenderness and he said, you know, I just don't know how to become good enough for God to accept me. And I looked at Lynn and said, I'm going to take him to eat Mexican food this week. We're going. And we did 45 minutes going over the gospel and tears in his eyes. And I gave him John Blanchard's ultimate questions. And we met again. And my point is, we have to open our eyes to see the harvest that's all around us. Now, he hadn't been converted yet, but are we actively being spiritually sensitive? Are we actively, intentionally letting compassion move us to touch people around us? Love takes initiative. Love is an action, isn't it? And our Savior's heart goes toward the whole city and he weeps over it. And he longs for it. He was moved. Matthew 23 says it different than Luke 19. Turn there if you would. I want you to see the wording. It's the same event. But Matthew records our, our Lord saying it different. Matthew 23 is probably the, the hottest chapter in the New Testament. It's white hot, filled with um, scathing denunciations of the Pharisees. And then you come to verse 37 and 38. And here's how the Lord says it. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. How would He have said it? Would His lips have been quivering? Would He have stammered in, with emotion? The One who loved perfectly. The One who loved sinners perfectly. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The One who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. And He knew... She was going to crucify Him soon, didn't He? She was going to put the Messiah down. Notice what He says. How often I would have gathered you. 
How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Here's the Savior who has a chosen people. He's going to save. And here He says, how often I would have and you wouldn't. Do we have a heart like that? That longs to see the kingdom come. That longs to see the least, the dirtiest, the most despicable, the most unattractive gathered in. I think I think we should just evaluate ourselves spiritually regularly, not with carnal introspection, but with honest, tender-hearted self-evaluation. Where is my heart? Am I moved with compassion? Or is my heart cold? Do I, do I ever have tears like my Savior did? Why tears with Him? Because He cared, He longed, He loved, and He acted. Often I find I don't move past the feeling and the longing that's inside. I don't act on it when I could and when I should. Raven Hill used to say, Have we tears? Are we moved? Why was he? If you read Luke 19 closely, there's, there's a couple reasons. When he saw the city, he wept because, number one, of the human condition, the lostness, the need. Do we realize since COVID started? How many more people are afraid looking for answers? And they don't have them. And there are people around us that are open and sensitive. And we are the only ones in the earth with the answer. Are we withholding it? Because we're in a rut too much. He wept because of the human condition but also, verse 43 in Luke 19 points out that he wept because of the coming judgment that was coming on Jerusalem. He pronounced it then. He said, you know, you, you missed your opportunity. The time has passed. And here's what's coming in a few years. And you know, when I read Revelation... Whenever I come to chapter 6, verse 16, it always strikes me. It says there, there that men, the great men of the earth, will run in terror and they will be calling for the rocks and hills so they can hide themselves from His face and from the wrath of the Lamb. It's the terrifying Savior that they will face in judgment. But as long as there's mercy, as long as the Gospel is the Word, as long as 
He hasn't come as long as we're here in the earth. He's a gentle and merciful Savior. He's a tender Savior. He's a weeping Savior. Amen. And we have to have His heart. And we only have that as we have an absolute priority in a fresh relationship to draw near to Him daily. Bob's last sermon he ever preached in Texas, letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's what we've got to have. More like the Master would I ever be. More of His meekness, more humility, more zeal to labor, more courage to be true, more consecration for work He bids me do. We need Him, brethren. We're to be vessels, channels of blessing. But are we stagnated? Is the channel clogged? We need it. We need it emptied out. We need fresh freshness. More like the Master is my daily prayer. More strength to carry crosses I must bear. More earnest effort to bring His kingdom in. More of His Spirit, the wanderer to win. More like the Master, I would live and grow. More of His love to others I would show. More self-denial like His in Galilee. More like the Master I long to ever be. So let's just pray to that tonight. I want us to sing a hymn about this and let's really make it our prayer. 316. It is a prayer. Let's sing it as a prayer to Him. Oh, to be like Thee.